What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. With your hosts, Clayton Caldwell and John Harlow. That's right, it's Talking in Circles, Clayton Caldwell and John Harlow here with you tonight. We're breaking down the I Love New York 355 at the Glen. We're talking about the possibility of a spending cap in NASCAR, not the possibility, but the idea. What, could it work? How would we think it would work? Stuff like that is brought up to light by Andrew Merstein, part owner of Richard Petty Motorsports. Uh, we'll play, take a look at the playoffs. Who needs to get in? Who needs to win to get in? Uh, who's in? And can they get in? Uh, another tough day for Dale Earnhardt Jr. at Watkins Glen. What are his, what's his uh, percentage What's his likelihood of getting into the playoffs? And, of course, we'll take your phone calls at 917-889-8280. But first, John, we'll talk about Watkins Glen. I love New York 355. Martin Truex Jr.'s 11th career victory that comes out the Glen, his fourth one of the year. This 78 team is in their own stratosphere. And that third stage, when that third stage started and Truex had the lead, within 10 laps he had over a five-second lead on the second-place car. He and that 78 team right now are in their own stratosphere, and they are the odds-on favorite to win a championship. Another remarkable run by Martin Truex in their net 78 team tonight. Yeah, the only thing that will get in Truex's way of making it to Homestead is engine trouble in three races. He'll have to totally blow out a stage to not make it because he has so many stage points. He has so many um, – he's going to get points right now for winning the regular season championship unless something crazy happens. Truex has almost locked himself into Homestead without the chase even starting. I mean, they've, that, that team has been phenomenal. Uh, one of the things that I've been trying to find since the race ended is what the minimum speed was at Watkins Glen. Because they said Truex was four seconds a lap slower than he was when he started a run. I'm thinking four seconds a lap compared to what the average speed was might be below minimum speed. But he's still running around trying to save gas. And they always, one of the things if a car comes back after race wreck damage, they have to meet the minimum speed. What happens if you're trying to just save it on gas and you don't meet minimum speed. Do they do something to you? I haven't figured that one out. I've been trying to find it. Well, it's a good question. And as far as minimum speed is concerned, because I don't know how they even determine that, whether or not it's uh, based on how far off qualifying and stuff like that, or if it's changed at all in the last 20 years. I, I really don't know that. I, it's a good question to ask somebody, but it came down to, like you said, it came down to a few mileage race at the end of that thing. Um, I thought Truex was smart. I mean, he he saved a lot of gas. And I was surprised we didn't see, you know, what, what made the race interesting at the end was the caution uh, came out with 52 laps to go. Um, Landon Castle, with 53 laps to go, Landon Castle had a uh, right front tire go down. He left the debris on the racetrack. They restarted the race on lap 55. So that was a, they had a long run there, 36-lap run. It's a 33-lap fuel mileage. Uh, fuel run there at Watkins Glen. So there's a lot of teams stretching it. I was surprised we didn't see teams, for example, Kevin Harvick, who had an issue on that pit stop. And I know he had some issues that were out of his control and out of the team's control later on in the run. But I would have come down, and if I was a lot of the teams toward the tail end of the lead lap, even if 15th or 16th, I know track position means everything, but I would have came down with coming to get the green flag and topped off. You know, if you're that close on fuel, and these cars, there was cars that ran out in the final lap, 
if you're that close on fuel, just top it off, and you're in that much better shape than a lot of the cars. Brad Kozlowski was in a unique spot. He had to pit earlier because he had contact with Kyle Busch. That's been Kozlowski spinning. Uh, he had some issues on his car. So they had to pit. Their their strategy compared to everybody else's was a little bit off. So they kind of couldn't do what I was talking about. But they decided to stay out under that caution. But to me, if I was a team that, you know, a Ty Dillon or somebody trying to steal a win and get into the chase, top off at the end of that thing because – yeah, you're you know you're probably not going to win it anyway in, in 15th or 16th, but maybe you can get some points and feel good about yourself. So to me, I just thought a lot of teams missed the opportunity uh, where if you filled up or topped off, you know, coming to the green, you could have ran your guts out and passed a lot of cars that ran out of gas or conserving their fuel. Well, the one thing is two laps, three laps under caution at Watkins Glen, especially with everybody shutting off as much as they do, because I mean, if you think about it, the back half of the track is almost downhill. So if you shut it off and coast downhill and manage to keep pace car speed, which they, most of them do, you're not really getting much out of it. You're maybe getting a quarter lap under caution instead of what would be um, two or three laps under green. I don't know if it would have made that much of a difference. Somebody could have tried and made a gamble for it for somebody who was trying to steal a win, which you're right with the Ty Dillons or somebody like that. You look at Clint Boyer, for example, he had to play the ultimate strategy game. He could go for the win and try to stretch it and try to keep the lead. But if he doesn't win and finishes 25th, his shot at the playoffs on points are gone. He wound up stretching the fuel, got a top five out of it, lost a couple points to Matt Kenseth in the process because Kenseth wound up finishing second. But Boyer did everything he could within the limits that he had. Um, I just think the racy at Watkins Glen today was decent. You had a few battles in the back of the pack. But the two cars, and we said it last week, we said it at Indy. The two cars that were the best on the track were Martin Truex Jr. and Kyle Busch. And if Kyle Busch doesn't get into the uh, accident with Brad Keselowski in the uh, interloop there, take whenever they hit the bus stop, and Busch had the position and Keselowski didn't see him, and before his spotter could say, hey, Busch is on the inside, Keselowski already uh, cut in and wound up taking both of them for a spin. And Keselowski, his um, strategy almost paid off, except when he came into the pits with two laps to go, he wound up cutting through more than three pits before he hit the pit stall. Because he came out of the pits in fifth place and had to come back for a pass-through penalty. He might have had a shot going balls to the wall and having a chance to get the Truex. He might have. And we've seen that team and and teams do that in the past where, you know, you think that they're going to be in conserve mode and they run it hard. And, you know, we saw um, Ryan Blaney try and, and sort of make that work. But it was interesting today because I just think with the new package, a lot of these teams sort of miscalculated the fuel run. We saw a lot of teams pit, you know, late when they weren't really expecting to do that. Um, but as far as Kyle Busch is concerned, listen, he had a really fast race car. And I think the thing people forget about with the accident with uh, Brad Keselowski was that Kyle got back there because of a freaky freak deal with a lug nut inside the wheel. Uh, he, he felt it under caution while he was in the lead. He won stage one and completely dominated stage one of that race. Came down for a pit stop. A lug nut got caught in between the, the hub and the t- and the actual tire. And he felt the vibration under caution. It was a good call by him because if he pit, pit on the green, it w- really would have hurt him. Um, but he pit under caution, got that off, and that's why he got back to where he was with that two-car. I thought Kyle, and he, he is an, a very aggressive driver. I thought he was a little over-aggressive there, uh, making it, you know, two, three wide in, in, in the chicane and the bus stop. Um, and that came back to bite him a little bit. But a seventh-place run for the 18 team, that car's fast. And it doesn't hurt him right now because you look at it and you say, well, maybe it cost him three points in the, in the playoffs. And it probably did, especially compared to Truex, and that's really where it's going to be really is going to feel the impact. It wasn't like he lost three points to Clint Boyer or something like that, where Boyer only has one stage point all year, but uh, or one playoff point all year. He really felt he's going to feel the true X because that's who he's chasing in the points. Um, 
So, yeah, it hurt Bush a little bit, but listen, the raw speed of that 18 car, the raw speed of that 78 car, right now Toyota and Joe Gibbs Racing are in their own world, like I said. Even in fuel strategy, you look at the top five in, the, uh, top five in this race. You had a, a Joe Gibbs Racing car in a Joe Gibbs affiliated car, Mark Trex Jr. with the win, and then followed by three Joe Gibbs Racing Toyotas with Kenseth Suarez and Hamlin. They got good fuel mileage all day long. Border, we saw him back it down. Um, so it was a tough day for a lot of the Fords and, and the teams that were really going for it. But, again, you right, hit nail on the head, John. The two teams, the two cars that really appear to be in their own world as far as speed is concerned is the 78 and the 18. I mean, when you think about it, we didn't see A.J. Allmendinger up front today. He finished ninth. He wasn't really a contender. Uh, we didn't see any of the Hendrick Motorsports cars as contender. Uh, Chase Elliott had nine laps for a little bit there, but that was a, kind of a strategy run. You know, McMurray kind of got – you know, a little bit off, but we really didn't see too many cars that were contenders, the Chevrolet teams especially, that were contenders um, throughout the day. It was really a Toyota and Martin Truex Jr. and Kyle Busch kind of day. Oh, yeah, especially you look, Jimmy Johnson, the last car in the lead lap in 29th. That's how bad the 48 ran all day today. Uh, Logano ran into some strategy issues, came out 24th. He needed a good points day. Logano is not making the chase unless he wins a race. It's just flat out to that point now. Kevin Harvick was in play until um, he came out of out of the pits, and um, crew chief Roddy Childers said, go, 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 and Harvick went, and Brett Moffitt coming into pit in the 83 from BK Racing, and he basically stops flat in the middle of the pit road because he was waiting for Allmendinger to get out of his pits and Harvick had nowhere to go. And he wound up plowing into him. Good thing. Harvick was one stall away. So he basically backed in, they put Barabond on and he kept going into the race and salvaged a 17th place finish out of it. But when you looked at how he was running, Harvick could have had a top five and probably could have outstretched fuel because Harvick is as good a gas saver as there is in the cup series. Um, McMurray ran well all day, but wound up running into the fuel issue toward the end, 14th. Chase Elliott, 13th. I mean, there were some really good cars who didn't play the fuel game as well. But the one that I still am waiting for him to someday on a road course pull one of these out, Michael McDowell was 12th in the 95 car. That car has been doing better all season long. Um, he outpaced all the Childers cars, I mean, except for Almendinger, there wasn't a RCR car near Michael McDowell because you've got Menard in 18, Dillon in um, Austin Dillon in 26th, and Newman in 25th. I mean, Michael McDowell's outrunning the Richard Childers racing cars that they get their stuff from. Yeah, and I tell you, he's really, that team's really turned around. I mean, just take a listen to these finishes since Sonoma. 14th at Sonoma, 4th at Daytona, 23rd at Kentucky, 26th at Loudoun. But here you go, 18th, 18th, and 12th in our last three races at Indianapolis, Pocono, and Watkins Glen. That's pretty good, and I think, if I remember correctly, he got into a little bit of an accident at the end of that race at Indianapolis, or it would have been higher than that. Um, I think the team's got a lot of speed. They do a lot of good things. Um, another solid day for Michael McDowell here by Todd Parrott's a whale of a crew chief. Um, that team is on fire right now. They got off to a little bit of a slow start. You know, after Talladega, they were 32nd in points. Uh, 12 races later, they currently sit 25th. So they've moved up a lot of spots here. They've done a lot of good things. And I expected McDowell, this was McDowell's make or break here to prove that he could run really good. Um, and I think RCR is down on speed this year. Uh, we haven't really seen them aside from their a couple of fuel mileage and a couple of strategy wins. We haven't really seen them contend for a lot of wins. So the fact that they're all a little off on speed, RCR cars, and their engines are a little off on speed, that Michael McDowell is doing what he's doing, it's really impressive, no doubt about it. Uh, Jimmy Johnson ran out of gas at the end, but either way, um, he was a, a 12th to 10th place car all day long, um, didn't have a lot of speed. Casey Kane didn't have a lot of speed today. You know, just a little disappointing from the Hendrick Motorsports camp. And then you got Dale Earnhardt Jr., John, who currently sits 23rd in the standings, one point ahead of Ty Dillon, he's going to need to win, and another disastrous weekend for him. Um, comes into Watkins Glen, he, he was not very fast in the practice session. The car wasn't very fast all day long, was running 24th 
before having engine issues on that 88 car, it has been a disastrous final season for that 88 Chevrolet, and Junior Nation has a reason to start panicking because right now this is looking like it did in 2009 and 2010 when he hit rock bottom. The car's not handling very well, except the problem with the, the bright side to that was, well, he could make a crew chief change and maybe things are going. I think Greg Ives is going to be the crew chief for that 88 car with Alex Bowman next year. So they sort of have to live with each other, even if they're not seeing eye to eye for the next 14 races. Um, can Dale Jr. salvage this, this season here at all? I mean, I don't think he's going to make the chase. He even said in an article this week, the car's not fast enough. They can't win. Um, I don't think they can win in these next four races, no doubt about it. But I think it would be it would do his final season justice if he came out even at like Martinsville in the final three or four races at Texas and Phoenix and, and over there. And they said, listen, we actually had a car that was good and handled well. We ran and contended for wins. It would be huge if he could do that. Um, but right now, John, with 14 races to go, that team is nowhere close to where they need to be. And I think this season – is looking like a season to forget in his final season here, John, for Dale Earnhardt Jr. Um, I'll be honest with you. I think Dale Jr. ran this season for the fans. Uh, I think he made peace with himself with his concussion last year when he missed the final half of the season, at least. I think um, he came back to run this season for the fans. And I think they're having fun. They're not really, I mean, if they have a bad race, it's not like he's throwing his helmet back there and throwing Greg Ives under the bus. I mean, he's still saying Greg Ives is the crew chief he wants. He's playing the game the right way. I'm not sure if Dale Jr. isn't already checked out. We said the same thing about Tony Stewart last year. Um, But Tony wound up pulling off the win in Sonoma to get himself into the playoffs. And, but still Tony Stewart was a 20th place car last year. You look at the difference between that 14 car with Tony Stewart in it and that 14 car with Clint Boyer in it. And both you and I sort of questioned the move of Clint Boyer filling Tony Stewart's seat at that. They could have found somebody probably better, but Clint Boyer has done really, really well in that 14 car this year. He's got more top tens this year than Tony Stewart had last year. He's been a contention more than Tony Stewart was last year. I think next year Alex Bowman is going to have a better year in that 88 car than Dale Jr. is. I think Dale Jr. is partially checked out. Listen, and that is not a bad prediction. This is his ninth finish of 30th or worst in 2018 and 2017. That is not going to get it done. And really what it does is put you in a, in a you know, not win, win at all cost mode. Um, the only really solid run he's had all year long where you sat there and you felt pretty good leaving the racetrack was Texas way back in April when he finished fifth. Other than that, you know, Sonoma sixth, and, and they were able to get that. But that's a road course. And you say, well, it's a road course. We only have two of those. Uh, Michigan ninth, even that was kind of an eh day. Charlotte tenth, that was a, not a great day. You know, you haven't felt good about any of these races. You know, he came into Pocono and he said, I'm relieved to finish 12th leaving Pocono. Well, twelfth nowhere where you need to be is nowhere near where you need to be. Um, so it's been a tough, tough season so far for him, and I don't think there's any way he makes this chase right now unless they pull a rabbit out of the hat somehow and get some strategy in there. That eighty eight team is missing this chase, and um, just a, a another tough day for him. A tough day as well for uh, drivers like Trevor Bain, who had a freaky incident with his brakes. A lot of brake issues this week, John. Um, you know, during the weekend, I know David Reagan had brake issues. I think Kyle Busch, we saw had some braking issues. A lot of teams have braking issues, and you wonder if that's because of the um, the new lower downforce package, if that has something to do with that. Uh, so kind of nice to see a little bit of, of attrition as far as that's concerned, but what were your thoughts on the braking issues here at Watkins Glen? I think it's still one of them modes where they're trying to make everything lighter and they can put weight where they need to throughout the car for balance. Um, you used to see them come into Watkins Glen with a brake package like Martinsville because you're going left and right and some of these sharp turns that they have to do, and you need the brakes for that. But they're getting to the point where 
they're trying to lighten up the brakes as much as they can, and that causes more mechanical failure because it's not the sturdy part that you need. It doesn't have the weight behind it to give you the brakes that you need. They're trying to do it the least amount of weight possible, which causes brake issues because brakes are something you cannot live without on a road course. Um, one story that I wanted to bring out of today's race that uh, not a lot of people knew about until after it was over when Cole Pern was in uh, the media center, it's got to be, that was a tough race for Cole Pern. I mean, they're trying to coach Martin Truex to save gas and everything, but Cole Pern sitting on top of that pit box with the heaviest heart possible because his best friend growing up passed away on Thursday. And I'm not sure. I mean, I know how it's been when I've lost parents. I know how it's been when I've lost friends. I'm really, whenever I've done that, I've been in a funk for a couple of weeks after I lose somebody close to me. Um, I couldn't imagine being there up on top of the pit box, making crucial decisions to determine whether or not you're going to win a race or make the right call on a, on a pit stop. Whenever in your, in your heart, one of your best friends isn't there and you know, you've got to go to Canada for his funeral this week. So a uh, big, big shout out to Cole Pern, big, big thumbs up to Cole Pern for having the uh, intestinal fortitude to be able to pull something like this off today with what's going through his head and his heart. Yeah, no doubt. I think, um, you know, he's a great talent. Uh, he's part of these, I think a uh, big reason why that 718 runs the way they do. Um, Truex loves him. So it's a major, major, uh, big win for him. And, and absolutely he did a great job with what was weighing on his mind all weekend. 917-889-8280. If you want to join the conversation like Lee in Virginia. Hello, Lee. What do you want to talk about tonight? Hi guys. I'll, I'll chime in with the Dale Earnhardt Jr. Talk for sure. Please go ahead, uh, Lee. What about what about Junior there, Lee? Uh, you know, another ba- another rough weekend. Nine finishes outside the top thirty. What are your thoughts on him? Well, I thought John made a good point in saying that he was checked out. I, I just think, you know, I saw him. And, and and listen, I don't know if it's just Dale because uh, Hendrick Motorsports isn't isn't where they need to be. I mean, as much as Dale is checked out, and I believe that he is. You know, he's been on pit road more times than any driver that, any other driver this year. Um, which is just that that's inexcusable. I'm sorry. It is. Um, and then he broke his shifter at Pocono, you know, the last, two times ago when we were there in the spring, but today was a mechanical failure. And, you know, this team is sort of operating like a, like a, like a premium motorsports. I mean, it, they're not premium motorsports at this point. They have four cars, but I mean, you know, their, their speed just isn't there. They're like a middle level team right now. Their speed isn't there. I mean, Dale, Dale made a good point the other day when he left Pocono in his periscope. And no matter who's in the car and no matter what they do, they roll off 12th. They're not going to gain that much speed to be able to win a race on that weekend. So they're behind in the shop, and he's 100% right on that. And, you know, he was saying, oh, well, we go to Michigan. Michigan's your fast. That's a great track for me. Yeah, it is, Dale. But you know what? Michigan's a fast track, and that's the fastest track that we go to. And if you don't have the speed in the cars, you're not going to do anything. So, you know, it, it, it's mind-boggling to me. And I think a crew chief change, what would be ideal would be, you know, to switch Greg Ives and, and um, Keith Rodden, but they're not going to change that now that Casey Kane's in a chase. So just you got to wonder where Hendrick Motorsports is. Chase hasn't been that spectacular lately. Uh, Jimmy Johnson was out to lunch today. And, you know, that 88 team is just totally gone. Dale's checked out, and I just, boy, oh, boy, you got to wonder where they're, where they're at. They really, you really do. And, and, you know, you know where Dale's head's at. It's It's – you know, somewhere I don't know where it's at, but it's certainly not the racetrack. I wonder how much of it, Lee, um, Lee and Clayton. I wonder how much of it is with Doug Ducart departing as the general manager of Hendrick Motorsports. I wonder how much of a void that left in the uh, food chain because I mean, Rick Hendrick's got a lot of big things on his mind. He's not in the day-to-day operations. Doug Ducart is the vice president, general manager of Hendrick Motorsports. He was pretty much running the day-to-day operations at the shop making sure that the crew chiefs had what they need, making sure that the testing was done, making sure the engines were built the way they were. I wonder how much it was with Doug Ducart leaving and Hendrick Motorsports not replacing him. That's a very good point. And you have to wonder um, if they make, the, if they can make that change. And, and listen, I think when you look at the last five races since Daytona, we've run Kentucky, Loudoun, Indianapolis, Pocono, and Watkins Glen. Um, 
It's been all Toyota. Truex won Kentucky. Hamlin won Loudon. And Casey Kane won Indianapolis. Absolutely, it was a huge win for him in that Chevrolet team. But if you remember, Bush and Truex wrecked together, and they were the two dominant cars of the day. Kyle Busch nominated Pocono, and Truex won Watkins Glen today. So it's been Toyota. Ford hasn't won a, a non-restricted plate or road course race since Pocono. Chevrolet hasn't won a race since Michigan, other than Indianapolis. Um, so to me, both manufacturers are behind. Team Penske hasn't won a race since Logano won at Richmond. They've been behind since Logano's penalty. Um, we haven't really seen the speed out of them. You know, Stuart Haas Racing, I think, struggling a little bit with their transition over to Ford. Harvick's run okay. Uh, but they've been better lately. Like John, men- like John mentioned, Danica's a lot better. Danica's run a lot better for sure. Um, but, again, we haven't seen them w- contend for wins. We've seen them run in the top ten, but we haven't seen them contend for wins. Right now, and I think even the 42 car is really cooled off here, guys. Um, you know, Larson was – Every week was up in the top ten or in the top three in speed everywhere we went. I think we've seen that 42 car sort of cool off here. And right now it's a 78-18 game to be played here um, with the other players at Joe Gibbs Racing starting to step up their game. Matt Kenseth today, Lee, finishing the second spot. was huge for him because Boyer and him are fighting for the last spot on points as far as the playoffs are concerned. And uh, he outran Boyer today. So that's a huge, huge Win for Matt Kenseth with only four races to go until we until we go to the playoffs here in 2017. Yeah, and don't count out Denny Hamlin. Uh, you know he is proven with his track record and just his his resume speaks for itself. I know he's maybe not the most uh, mentally stable driver in the field <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination, but he is a hell of a race car driver. He's got a lot of talent, and don't count him out. You know he he can win anywhere, anytime. So don't count out Denny Hamlin. And, and I was impressed today. Even with Daniel Suarez, you know, I know he's got a good road racing background, but I, I believe he's rolled off now. Four straight top ten finishes. He, he may not win before the year's out, but he's having a really nice stretch here, and I, I give him a lot of credit for that. The Gibbs cars are on their way up, no doubt about it. And, and you got to wonder with the 42, Clayton, if it's Chad Johnston being away from the racetrack, if that has anything to do with it, or it's the fact that they've gotten caught with their penalty. We saw what the encumbered uh, penalty did to the number 22 team. They just haven't been anywhere near where they were. Since that penalty at Richmond, they've been totally gone, um, and, and you, you know, to the point where I don't even know if they're going to make the playoffs. Because today, everybody thought it would be a good day for Joey Logano. He's a good road racer. Da, 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 da. He finished with 24th. I mean, just crazy. And like we said at Michigan, it's going to come down to speed. It's you know, Michigan is a fast, fast racetrack. It's going to come down to speed. And right now, that's where it's at the Toyotas at Joe Gibbs Racing and Furniture Row Racing. And I just don't see a Team Penske car grabbing that victory lane there. Um, you know, it's going to have to come down to Darlington, Bristol, or Richmond for those guys. And I tell you, um, it's getting to be crunch time here. It's going to be interesting to see how this points position plays out with the, with the with the Boyers and the Kensets, or whether or not we get another first-time winner, if that's even going to matter. But, you know, Logano needs a win, and it, it's got to come down to Richmond. Or You know, he runs well at Richmond. We'll see how he does. But, boy, uh, I, if, I was, if I'm wearing a Shell Pennzoil hat as a fan right now, I am in full-blown panic mode. And one thing, Lee, you were trying to point out is uh, I think Stuart Haas Racing is starting to get their arms wrapped around the Ford package. I mean, today they didn't win, and but then today's race was a lot different than most of them because you think about it, everybody in the top five, top ten, basically, the last few laps they were stretching it on gas, trying, and they were running laps four seconds slower than they were coming out of the pits on their at the start of a run. So they were. Everybody was trying to stretch fuel, but you wound up with Boyer in fifth, Kurt Busch in sixth, Danica again in the top twenty. So it was a decent day for Stuart Haas Racing, and Harvick was running great until the pit road incident. I think they're starting to get their arms wrapped around the Ford package. Um, expectations were set a little high when Kurt Busch won the Daytona 500, but if you think about it, Kurt Busch, the only lap he led in the Daytona 500 was the final one. And that's because three cars ran out of gas on him before he wound up crossing the start finish line. Um, Harvick's contended, but then they had their moments where they started losing the uh, fuel of the car and they started to get their wraps around it and starting to get up there where they're challenging top fives, top tens. And for you to win race, you have to win races unless it's a strategy move. 
you've got to be running top five, top 10 to get that little extra. If you're up there contending with everybody, you're going to find that little piece. And I think before we get to Chicagoland, I think there's something to be found that the four car can find. And I think the 14 is getting pretty close to finding it right now. Yeah, listen, I, we're used to seeing Kevin Harvick um, being a serious contender, running in the top five all the time, winning a lot of races. He hasn't done that in 2017, but the team could be in, in you know, trying some things as they get ready for um, the playoffs. Final thoughts, John, on Watkins Glen. What, what are your final thoughts there on, on the entire weekend? Um, you kind of knew the stages were going to change things up. I like the way the uh, third stage was much bigger than the first two. So it wound up where it was a fuel strategy run in it. Um, I wonder what it would have been if Landon Castles didn't blow that tire and have pieces go over and they had to go green the whole 50 laps. I think that would have been very, very interesting to see how the last stage would have played out. I was a great, I I still say um, great day for Daniel Suarez to pull off a top three finish. And it wasn't like he lucked into the third place finish. He was running up there throughout the day. Uh, Denny Hamlin comes back, finishes fourth. Uh, Good points day for both Matt Kenseth and Clint Boyer as they're battling for that final spot. A couple of the down moves. Jimmy Johnson was out to lunch. Junior was, I mean, Junior broke early. Um, Joey Logano has made it to the point where he's got a win or he's sitting on the sidelines. Um, And he, the way it looks right now, you, me and Lee have just as good a shot at winning the championship this year as Joey Logano, because I have, I don't think he's going to make the top 16. I'm with you there. Lee, what are your final thoughts on Watkins Glen before we move on to the topic about a spending cap? Well, I think, uh, you know, they, they may need to look at the stages next year so it's not as much of a fuel strategy race going in. Um, you know, the, I thought it w- I was confused by some of the strategy that was going on until the final stage there. But um, maybe they need to look at, at, at you know, a fuel run for, for uh, stages. And that's why they do this, because, you know, they need to figure this stuff out. It's year one. So um, once year two rolls around, maybe they'll adjust the stages for Watkins Glen. And guys, you know, we've been we've been coming to this place for a long time and it's been the last road race of the year for since we've been coming here and that won't be the case next year. That's interesting. Yeah, it is because of the roll at Charlotte. Uh some news this week which was caught my eye. I wouldn't say news, but an interesting article. Uh Andrew Merstein from Richard Petty Motorsports made news his company uh helped purchase, they invested into Richard Petty Motorsports in 2010, and he said NASCAR needs to agree, and the team owners need to agree on a spending cap to create a level playing field. Bernstein said every single league has a cap now these days, and it creates a level playing field. It's salaries, it's wind tunnel time, it's the whole kit and caboodle. It's better for fans, I think, if there is a level playing field. No one can outspend the other guy. It's better for owners. It creates more competition and more excitement. End quote. Um, it led to a, a interesting speculation, led to a lot of, of um, a chatter. Uh, but, John, you know, to me, I think it would be hard to do. It would be hard to police it, um, you know, because you, you, these contracts for these team members and these crew members and these crew chiefs are so private. We don't really know what these guys make. Like, we know professional athletes as far as um, – you know, coaches and, and, and big-time quarterbacks and stuff like that, of what they make. Um, well, what are your thoughts on a spending cap? Do you think it would help, and how do you think they would do it? I think it's an interesting plan. Uh, one of the things we've all talked about for since uh, I've been part of this show and whenever uh, Brandon, who used to host the show before I joined, uh, and you used to talk about it, the haves and the have-nots. And we've talked about that since the day one. And it's been like that in NASCAR forever because it is whoever can get the biggest sponsor or all that stuff. I mean, you look at Hendrick Motorsports, one of the biggest things that they've had over the past few years is the money that Dale Jr. brings into that shop. And Dale Jr. is going away this year. I mean, for the past few years, it's been 30 plus million dollars to be the sponsor of the 88. And you've got other teams trying to compete where they're running on a $5 million budget, a $10 million budget. And it's sad that you know that the best you're going to get is 15th and 20th, unless you're going to luck one out and 
uh, pull a strategy move and stay out when it may rain or stay out on old tires and hopefully the clean air gets you the win. Um, I like the way he's thinking about it. I mean, you look, football has a cap. Baseball has a luxury tax where it's like if you spend over $189 million, you pay X amount of money back and it gets filtered through the teams. It might be a way to help the um, premium motorsports of the world who's out there trying to do something where they're running on a shoestring budget. I mean, the other part is you look at it today, there were 37 cars in the field. And they're struggling to get 36. And if you look next year, unless a GMS comes up, we may end up with less than 36 full-time teams. And that's a problem for the sport. So it might be something where they look at, this is how much you can spend. And everybody, but the problem is, everybody's an independent contractor. There's nothing where it says they have to show NASCAR what they spend on anything, what they spend on crew, what they spend on wind tunnel time. The only way you're going to be able to pull something like that off, I'm not saying the charters count as a franchise, but it would have to count as a real franchise where NASCAR hands the franchise to these people, and then it's owned by NASCAR. Like the NFL officially owns all the teams. It's just somebody buys the uh, piece of paper that says I'm the owner of the X amount of X team. Same with baseball. I mean, the owners have to approve who gets a team. That doesn't happen in NASCAR. And here's something else, Lee. I want to get your opinion on this. You know, when you think about NASCAR and you think how it's different than any other sport and how the business aspect is especially, because when you think about it this way, Hendrick Motorsports provides engines and chassis to a lot of teams. They provide the engines to um, Chip Ganassi Racing. Roush Yates, Jack Roush, provides engines to all the Ford teams. Uh, Joe Gibbs Racing, for example, provides the chassis to Furniture Racing. You know, to tell the team, well, you can make your money off that, but you're not allowed to invest that in your team, you know, we're going to tax you on that, is interesting because would it change the game as far as if I'm a team like Joe Gibbs Racing, and I give my chassis to Furniture Racing, and I say, listen, you know, you're going to pay me X amount of money for that, but I'm not going to be able to invest that in my team. Am I going to sit there and go, you know what, then you provide your own chassis because why am I giving you information in my chassis if I can't make the money off of that? It might change to where it would hurt these teams like Furniture Racing who are so reliant on the Joe Gibbs Racing of the world, and would that help competitionally? I don't know, and and I I, I just this will be extremely hard to police. Number one on this is that it'll be extremely hard for you know Joe Gibbs and Rick Hendrick. They're not going to pull out their books and and you know show NASCAR because they're not they're independent contractors. They're not franchises, and you know I just think at this point it's it's it, you know there's a lot more things that they could do to to cut the costs here, and I think you're going I think you're going to see like I said a bunch of times I think you're going to see the market right itself here. Would that help competition? I think we've gotten to the point it's gotten so bad and, and we've gone so far down this path for so long that, you know, you pull out somebody's engine company or one of the engine companies or something, people are going to be in some trouble because they're not going to be able to survive unless we get another manufacturer in here who can build engines, which doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon. Uh, you know, it would be tough. It really would be tough for some of these teams to survive. Um, and, and, I just listen. A spending cap it sounds wonderful on paper, but there this sport is has, was built on independent contractors and people being able to come in and do whatever they could, and it would it would be hard for me to to see a, to see franchises. It really would. I mean, you know, that's what may, always made this sport great was that yes, I know it takes a billionaire, but the next billionaire who comes in and runs a race team like you know Gene Haas can start up a race team. I think that makes it great. That's what's part of what made this sport great. And if we get like football, baseball, basketball, or hockey, I think we're more in line with them. And, and I, I don't want to be more in line with them. We've we've gotten enough, you know, you know, there's playoffs and all this kind of nonsense that they've done in the last 20 years to try and be like the NFL, to try and be like the NHL, to try and be like MLB. 
And you know what? It's it's motorsports, and it's a great sport. It's the best sport in the whole country, in my opinion. And let's let's have our own identity. You know, let's not be like them. I think one of the things not, Lee, it hasn't worked. That that idea hasn't worked. I think one of the things when you look at it, Lee, um, when you're looking at comparing it to the stick and ball sport, you're right. It's not even close to what a stick and ball sport is. But we're getting to the point where we're going to have where you said about the Gene Hosses coming in and creating their own team because the next billionaire is coming in the door. Well, Gene Haas created his own team and Gene Haas's team sucked for 15 years. And then he brought Tony Stewart in and Tony got the people because people is what makes a team go. And they've been phenomenal since they became Stewart Haas. But up until then, and Gene was in jail and basically going to Joe Custer saying, Hey, if we don't do something, I'm shutting it down. And Joe Custer came up with the bright idea with Rick Hendrick. They wound up getting Tony out of his contract with Joe Gibbs racing a year early and they created Stuart Haas racing. And it's been a whole different world over there. And now they've got Ford support and everything. The problem is I'm not sure where your next billionaire is coming in at. We had Andrew Merstein, who's a billionaire, with the medallion financial group and the amount of taxi cabs he owns in New York city. And they're losing money to Uber. So he's not spending money hand over fist. You thought with him coming into Richard Petty and then becoming a two car organization and being able to build up with their own people and everything. And it wound up, they cut back to one this year and we don't know if they have sponsorship for the 43 in 2018. You have the Rob Kaufmans in the world. He was going to come in as a billionaire and help Michael Waltrip survive. And he got tired of spending his own money to keep the ship floating. So he went over to Chip Ganassi, became a partner there. And that's came. We haven't had somebody come into the sport fresh and do anything. I mean, you had George Gillette come in and basically ruin Everham. So whenever we have these outside people who aren't racers, and that's one of the problems. You, you're making the sport too expensive for the racer to participate. Joe Gibbs has been very blessed. He got lucky with some good partners. He got lucky that he worked with Rick Hendrick to begin with. And whenever Toyota, whenever he got tired of being the third or fourth guy in line at, at Chevrolet and Toyota came to him, and they've been lights out since they went to Toyota. Yeah. Name somebody other than Joe Gibbs. Now who's really come into the sport in the past 20 years that's done anything since Stuart Haas. Barney Visser. Barney Visser, right, yeah, and he, but he had to align. And that's where it changes. And, and to me, guys, this is where is another interesting aspect of this. And, John, you mentioned people in your, la, in your, little, uh, your last little part here. You mentioned about the people winning championships, and there's no doubt I totally agree with that. I think people win championships. You know, Gene Haas, like you said, that team wasn't very good until Tony Stewart got there and brought the people in. Um, and when you think about the smaller teams, you know, I think that's part of it. You know, we're, we talked about the 95 earlier, the, the the team that is sort of a smaller team like Bob Levine. He's just started probably five years ago with that organization, and they're aligned with RCR, and they do a good job. And they're Critchie's Todd Parrott, who is a, in my opinion, even to this day, a top-notch Critchie. But they got their hands on him because of a unique circumstance with Parrott. He was at Richard Petty Motorsports, got suspended for uh, uh, substance abuse, or uh, a, you know, he got suspended from NASCAR, released from Richard Petty Motorsports, had to work his way back up through the chain, and here he is at Levine Family Racing. But that story doesn't happen very much. You don't see a top-notch crew chief like Todd Parrott. You don't see really the bigger teams let that go. Think of a guy like Ron Mallett, who's the car chief for that 48 car. You know, he's a guy who 15, 20 years ago would have been gone from Hendrick because he would have been a crew chief somewhere else. But Rick Hendrick has a financial wherewithal to pay him the amount of money that a lower team would pay him to be their crew chief and keep him on his race car. And I think you see that throughout. Think of Darian Grubb. He's at Hendrick Motorsports. Um, you got Kenny Francis. He's at Hendrick Motorsports. These are guys who are winning crew chiefs in the past who don't currently have crew chief roles but are working within the organization. How can these smaller teams get better when these bigger teams aren't letting their, 
their their talent get away from them. And that's really uh, another thing where a spending cap might help with that. But, again, but, it's the question of how do you get there? Well, I think you're starting to see it right itself, though, because like John mentioned before, Doug Ducart was cut by Hendrick Motorsports. And, and in my opinion, I think that has to do more with a lack of financial support than anything else. I think if Rick could have hung on to him, he would have. Um, and so, you know, he's out there if, he, if somebody wants him. Um, the problem is that position there is, is going to be less and less coveted because it's one of those positions that's almost like a glamorous position where a team with a lot of money can say, oh, well, we'll take it, but it's not necessarily necessary. And so I think you're starting to see it. Clayton, you're right with the 95 team. They've been running great by themselves. And, you know, you, you look at what they're spending, and then you look at what some other teams are spending, and they're outrunning them, and it's kind of like, where is the line? Uh, so um, you, you got to wonder what, what Bob Levine is spending on that race team and how much with the lack of sponsorship that is there, how much longer is he going to run his heading into the wall to do this and run like that? And again, that's one of the things we've all talked about. I mean, you look, there's more official everythings of NASCAR where NASCAR is pulling money into the big pot that is the France family, which is being divided through the people in Daytona instead of having them be able to sponsor a premium motorsports, a front row motorsports, to give a chance for the, the Tommy Baldwins when Tommy was in to give the smaller teams a chance to build up to at least for their competitive with the bigger teams. I mean, how long is it, like you said, until the Bob Levines, the front row motorsports of Bob Jenkins basically say, screw it. I'm tired of finishing 20th and there's nothing I can do to get in the top 10 unless a miracle happens because it's going to be Gibbs, Hendrick, Penske, Ganassi and Team Penske. That's going to be, and the Barney Vest, the one front row motorsports, which is basically the fifth Joe Gibbs car. It's going to be those teams that are dominating the sport. Even in baseball, Lee, you're a Yankee fan. I'm a Red Sox fan. We know our teams are going to be good every year, but there's still the Orioles out there who have a chance to win the division if they can ever get pitching. They've done it in the past couple of years. You get the Kansas Cities who come up out of nowhere, who end up winning a World Series. You get the Giants who win World Series, and they aren't the glamour teams like we are, like our two teams are expected to be. So even in stick and ball sports, other than the NBA where it's Golden State until they get tired of being Golden State, every team has a chance to win. You can put your team together, organize it, put the game plan in, and have a chance to win. In NASCAR, it's the four teams, these five teams, and the couple stragglers, and then everybody else is fighting for 15th. It was never – it's always been that way, though. That's the thing about motorsports, and and it's always been that way. You know, you – like, the the problem is what you mentioned before. You can't get to the top anymore. You know, Levine may not be able to compete now, but in 15 years, if he continued to do it, then he may be at the top at one point. Now you can't do that. Now you can't do that because and, – and, you know, the other teams wouldn't go down. But, you know, there was a time 15 years ago when Jack Roush had five race cars, all of them in the chase in 2002 or 2006 or whatever. He had, them, he had them all in the chase at one point, and he's down to two teams. So, you know, there are ebbs and flows here. But to me, motorsports is, you know, whoever's – it's always been money by speed. That was Smokey Unix's slogan from years yep. ago, money by speed. It's just I think the amount of money that they're using and, and the amount of the amount of money that they're spending and the amount of money coming in is so drastic and it's way more drastic than it's ever been. Listen, it's not the fact that they're spending thirty million dollars if they were bringing in a hundred or even sixty million, but when the series sponsor is twenty million dollars and you know Jill Earnhardt Jr. sponsorships worth thirty million dollars, there's a problem there. And Dale said today in, or yesterday at his press conference on Saturday, drivers are taking like one tenth of what. They were getting paid now in these new contracts. That's insanity. Yeah, and I want to focus on that because I think that's a huge part of the, even the silly season. And I think people are missing, you know, you, you wonder and sit there and go, well, maybe why, you know, for me, and I've said this before and I've come out and I, I made this clear. 
if it was my decision in that 88 car, I would hire Matt Kenseth over Alex Bowman in a heartbeat. But if what Dale Jr. is saying is true, where you say, hey, these drivers are taking, the younger kids are taking a significant amount of money less than the veterans, then you talk to Nationwide and say, well, listen, you can do this for a lot cheaper price. And Nationwide went, okay, and we can still kind of maybe, maybe win races with Alex Bowman. That's a huge thing. You know, Kurt Busch got his option decline this week, um, this past week, and we talked about it on the show on Wednesday. But you have to wonder if that's because the salary for drivers is going down. It took Brad Keselowski a long time to re-sign his extension at Team Penske. He said, I always wanted to be at Team Penske, and I believed him. I don't know if he talked to anybody else. I think he was using that as a bluff. I think what Kurt Busch said this week was bluffing, where he said, I talked to a lot of teams. But these drivers want their money, and right now it's not out there. Um, I think it's one of the first things that are hit here is the money, uh, is the driver's money. Then the next thing you're going to see is maybe them compensate elsewhere. Um, so to me, it, it's it's interesting how that has now become an issue where these drivers might not be making as much money here down the road, 10, 15 years down the road, and how will that change the game? Um, it should be very interesting to see. And to go along with the driver money part that you brought up, Clayton and Lee, I want you to chime in on it too whenever I bring this up. If you remember, Kyle Larson went and ran Ohio Speed Weeks in a sprint car. And he said he made more money off T-shirt sales during that week of running Ohio Speed Weeks than he has made all season from NASCAR. Because the driver, as Kevin Harvick pointed out on one of his happy hour shows, the driver gets, what, 2% out of, speed, out of T-shirt sales and everything. The track gets a cut. NASCAR gets a cut. Uh, the team gets a cut. Uh, Fanatics gets a cut. By the time it gets to the driver whose likeness is put on the shirt, whose name is put on the shirt, they're getting 2%. I'm thinking it's going to come to the point where if the drivers are getting their salaries cut back, they're going to start saying, okay, I want my likeness. I'm going to get X amount out of sales off of this likeness. Or we're going to come to a point where the drivers are going to get to the point there aren't – it's not like we can pull up the Xfinity teams and run a competitive cup show. I think it's going to come to the point where the drivers are going to say, okay, I'm the one putting my life on the line the minute I strap into that car. If you're going to cut somewhere else, it's not going to be me. Yeah, but then they're just going to hire some 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 kid who's hungry, who's starving, who's going to say, "I'll take that ride for that amount of money." Screw whoever doesn't want that money. They got no leverage right now. That's what Kurt Busch, you know, that's the deal with Kurt Busch. He's saying he's got other teams, but Stuart Haas could essentially come in and say, "We're going to pay you one seventy ninth, one one thousandth of what we were paying you," and it's either Kurt Busch either take that or go home and sit on your couch. I mean, you know. That's the deal, John. They they don't have very much leverage right now. There are no new teams starting up where if there was a bunch of good rides out there, you could look at it and say, okay, well, Kurt Busch has other options. He doesn't, and that's the way it's going to be with a lot of guys coming up here in the future. They're going to really have to swallow hard and take a major pay cut, and that may even come with T-shirt sales, et cetera, and that might just be the way the sport is, John. It was da- it was more dangerous 50 years ago, and they were making a hell of a lot less money than they are now, and they, you know, they were making good money 15 years ago, and they were – up until now, they were making a hell of a lot more money than they were 15 years ago. So, you know, if it comes down, it, it, if it comes down and it comes down significantly, they're still going to be paid pretty well. Right, and then you have the issue of what we saw. You know, we, there was an article this week about Danica Patrick, who has basically come out and said she is out at Stewart House Racing because she doesn't have sponsorship with her. And the fact that these drivers with sponsorships you know, almost what they do outside the race car is more important than what they do inside the race car. For example, you have Alex Bowman, who, listen, again, is a very talented race car driver, but is unproven. But I found this press conference last week going driving into Pocono Raceway. I found the press conference very interesting because his, his excuse me, Nationwide and his sponsorships were basically saying, well, we want him to keep Junior's fan base. We want him to be active on Twitter. We want him to be a likable personality. And to me, that was more important to Nationwide than anything, that he was a likable personality, that he's good on Twitter, that the fans would follow Alex Bowman. And almost what he produced on the racetrack was second. And to me, 
in a in a sport that I love, in the competition that I love, and the in just the actual comp, like a competition where you see these guys compete on a weekly basis. To me, that's the most important thing. But with these sponsorships now, it's not nearly that. And if you can bring a sponsorship with you, if you have a sponsorship in your back pocket, you are in way better shape to get a ride. It doesn't matter if you run 25th in the Xfinity Series. If you have a sponsorship in your back pocket and say, I can bring $10 million to the table, this guy can only bring four. He might won two Xfinity Series races last year. I ran 25th, but I got $10 million with me. That is more valuable than anything, and that is a big, big problem, John. Oh, you're completely right. I mean, let's look at Target pulling away from Chip Ganassi Racing. Kyle Larson alone this year has provided Target over $110 million worth of uh, free time on television because of how much the Target car with um, Larson running up front all year has provided in uh, images for Target, and they're pulling out. And I know they paid less than $110 million. So they're making their return on investment is huge, but they're deciding they're going to go to soccer because they think soccer is the way to go, the wave of the future. And you're seeing more and more sponsors. I mean, let's look at the cars anymore. There's only one car in the garage that you know who the sponsor is every week. And that's a 48 car because Lowe's is on it every week. Everybody else is mix and match, and you see five, six different sponsors on the car anymore. That's how much money the sport has blown up. I think it's time we get back to the basics when it comes to the cars. I think it's time to quit over-engineering them, uh, get back to the simpler things, keep the safety and innovations, but get back to being simple with the cars. And I think we're going to have a better show and we're going to have a better fan base than we, than we have right now because there's a lot of fair weather fans that come in and out. And I wonder, especially with the way it's going, I mean, as they said, with the younger drivers willing to take less, but sooner or later, I mean, this sport has been made on names in the past few years. Jeff Gordon, Tony Stewart, Carl Edwards, Greg Biffle. We're going to lose Dale, Dale Jr. this year. Who knows when Matt Kenseth's going to sign or if he signs somewhere, but he's going soon. We've lost Dale Jarrett in the recent future. We lost Jeff Burton. Um, Bush is sitting out there going, okay, if I get a ride, I'm going to end up with Stuart Haas probably at a third of what I was making. Names make this sport, and we're losing the names. And we're not cultivating the getting the names up there because you've got to get into a good ride right away it's not like you can go Alex Bowman is the exception right now but it's not like you can start like you did with Jeff Burton where he started in the um in a crap car driving for driving the Kodiak car I believe and then makes himself up to Roush Fenway or no he drove for the Stavola brothers before he got to Roush Fenway you can't work your way up anymore that's a good point and Lee, final thoughts on this. We only got about a minute and a half left. What are your final thoughts on the whole NASCAR business deal? I just think it's going to write itself. I'm hoping it writes itself correctly. Um, you know, and, and it's going to be interesting to see where Kenseth lands for sure. Um, there was a point I wanted to make, but I can't. I can't think of it right now. But I'm just. It's going to be interesting to see where everything lands here in the next four or five years with names out there and, and all these drivers and all these teams and, and who signs what contracts and what happens with these teams and these team owners, it's, it's, they're in a tumultuous time right now. And uh, boy, it's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah. The business aspect of the sport has changed a lot. And these charters are interesting because you don't know what else they can attach to it. You know, I think it was a nine year or six year deal or something like that they put together, but you know, they have Gene Haas talks about three, incomes from those charters there could be other stuff they could attach to that you know maybe for these car owners you know somehow get merchandise attached to these charters and or a number or something like that which would be very interesting so all that could be down the road and something that we look at for sure lee i want to thank you for joining the show uh it was a really really good discussion you had a lot and call us back next week 
Lee in Virginia, that was. Uh, if you want to join the show in, in, in the coming weeks, 917-889-8280, you can do that. Um, we will be back here Wednesday night. We're going to talk about the whole news of NASCAR uh, on Wednesday. It's Talking Circles, Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow. We'll see you next time. Good night, everybody. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.